And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is Matt Watson, your host today. Excited to be joined by Andrew Brick. We're going to be talking about cybersecurity, crypto, blockchain, security, all sorts of fun stuff today. Um, his company is called Notaros. It's an early stage um, crypto company doing some exciting stuff. So excited to talk all about it. Before we get started, I do want to tell you today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by FullScale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. FullScale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably, and it has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit FullScale.io to learn more. Andrew, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So your company, are you, you're one of the founders, right? And you're officially the chief product officer. Is that right? Yeah. So I actually come from an engineering background, uh, but at this company, I do a lot of the product, a lot of the uh, human facing stuff. Okay. So I guess, so tell us a little bit about your background and what got you guys started with, with this company and, and the problem you're trying to solve here. Yeah, sure. So uh, a little about me. My name is Andrew Brick. I originally uh, went to school for energy technologies. I was very early adopter of Bitcoin mining back in 2012. Uh, and I didn't really think too much of it until I started working at a cybersecurity firm for a little while. There, I got introduced to uh, Steemit, which is sort of like a crypto Reddit. And I thought it was so cool. And I, you know, I really wanted to leverage this idea of building other things other than a currency on top of blockchain. And, uh, and then I went back to school, I got my master's, and I really pivoted hard into the cybersecurity world. And I've, I've really been working in blockchain ever since for companies of all sizes, small and large at all levels of the stack. My co-founder actually got started even a year earlier than me. So he originally went to school for aerospace technologies uh, and aerospace engineering, and he got hired by one of the largest Bitcoin mining firms at the time uh, to uh, use his aerospace skills to optimize the airflow of their miners and help cool the miners off. So while he was working there, he got to know some of the very early Ethereum devs uh, and even mined some very early Ethereum blocks. So he and I met uh, at a consulting firm we worked at. We left that company to launch this one. Uh, and yeah, so at Notaros, we are building a zero trust platform that makes it easy to deploy all kinds of applications with the power of decentralization and zero trust uh, so that we can build, you know, fully automated systems with high confidence in their data. Well, so crypto is always a, a, a hot space. There's, there's always a lot of news about it. And, um, you know, the last year has been tough for a lot of a lot of markets, right? The, the normal stock markets way down, Bitcoin's down like 75% in value. And, and FTX blew up this week and all this crazy stuff is going on. But, you know, I think this is a good time to be building. It's a good time for somebody like you to be building for, you know, the future bull run or, 
you know, maybe your guys's product doesn't really matter. It's like, hey, we're building a utility. We don't really care if it's a bull bull market, a bear market. Like, we don't care about any of that because we're building something that people can actually use. We're not writing the hype cycles, right? And that seems like the biggest problem with most crypto stuff is it is it rides these hype cycles up and down. Like NFTs were sort of a stupid idea, but you know, somebody bought a picture of an ape for a million dollars. Now it's not worth anything. And they rode the hype cycle of that, right? And But that seems to be the market. But I hope you guys are building something that has more utility to it. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think so. Uh, what, what we really see this technology as, I think a lot of people get confused and they think that blockchain is a financial technology. When in reality, blockchain is a technology that enables financial technologies. Right. And that's where a lot of people get confused. And really, we see ourselves as a technology designed to help you bring uh, greater confidence in your data. But like, what does that really mean? Well, right now, we have a whole bunch of reasons to doubt our data, you know, whether it's, you know, hardware errors or hackers, or, you know, maybe it's built in tolerances into how we constructed a system in the first place. But we have all these different reasons to be unsure about the certainty of our data. And that's why we introduce things like manual review. That's why we have, you know, a human check off on the legitimacy of something or make sure that it's correct. But the more confidence we have in our data, the less manual review we need. And thus we can automate systems that previously were hard to automate. And I think that that's sort of the, the grand future that so many people know blockchain is destined to do, but they have a hard time figuring out where exactly the blockchain belongs uh, versus, you know, what, it, you know, where a cryptocurrency belongs or some other, some other financial asset. Well, and I feel like with a lot of these technologies, you, you build it, you build the blockchain, you build Ethereum and you're like, we don't really know all the use cases of how people will use this technology. Right. And so I mentioned NFTs earlier, like NFTs came later. It's like somebody decided, figured out how to build NFTs on, on top of the blockchain. And we did a whole series about NFTs, by the way, like 10 different episodes you could go find on Startup Hustle. And um, I still I still think they're largely bullshit. But the, but somebody will also eventually figure out good use cases for NFTs. And there, there are some good use cases for NFTs, but Monkey Pictures is not one of them. But D- DeFi was actually a really good use case of, of the blockchain. People have figured out how to use DeFi and, and do lending and staking and all these things. And, um, you know, you guys are, are trying to help develop other real world useful solutions on top of the blockchain, right? Yeah. So we mostly work with uh, companies that handle what we consider to be critical infrastructure. So this means companies that handle energy data, maybe medical data, supply chain tracking data. Uh, We built a cool application for the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency during their accelerator this past summer. Uh, and these are really critical forms of data that, you know, they need a high level of trust. They need a high level of confidence uh, without, you know, without actually being financial assets. You know, it makes a lot of sense that DeFi came out first because it's one area where we need a lot of confidence in our data right. and we need to be sure that, you know, the money's coming through the door, et cetera. But there's really a ton more areas where, we have reason to doubt our data and we, we need to close that gap to make systems more automated and, and more effective. So let's drill into that that project you did before. You, you said during your accelerator, um, which is, I'm going to guess, one of the first projects you guys did, right? So can you tell us more about exactly like the problem they were trying to solve and 
and specifically like how you guys and your technology was able to solve that problem? Yeah. So we, uh, we, this past summer, we graduated from an accelerator with the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. So this is the agency that manages the maps for the federal government. And okay. they, as you can imagine, they have tons of data. Uh, and that data is located in servers all over the earth. And it, it's really hard to search through that data efficiently because you have to go to one server and you have to search that server and then you go to the next server and search that server. So the analysts end up spending a lot of their time sort of sifting through servers. And sometimes even when they find their data, you know, there's some chance that that data is not the most up to date and that, right. you know, more up to date data is up in some other server somewhere. So we built for them an application that makes it easy to search all of this, all of these servers across a distributed network as if they're a single computer. Uh, and to know that that data has not been tampered with and to know that the data you're working with is the most up-to-date. So this is really great. You know, imagine you're a policymaker, you're about to go into a decision with other policymakers and suddenly your intel changes. Uh, you could, you know, immediately see that that, that change has happened. And regardless of, you know, where in the, the vast data set the changes happen, you, you'd see it. And so you always know you're working with the latest data and I think that there's a ton of applications for this in government. I think there's a ton of applications for this in the commercial world as well. You know, there's tons of people who spend their time making sure that their colleagues are looking at the most up-to-date file. Uh, and that's really not, not a, a great problem to have. It should be a solved problem in this modern era, but we're still working on those kinds of problems. And I think, you know, if you if you spend as much time in the industry as my co-founder and I have, you see like a lot of problems as, as blockchain problems. Uh, so, so was the solution there to take that data and actually move all of that data onto a, a, a blockchain or was it more about like, you just wrote on the blockchain, like the, you know, like hash, hash values of the file to know that it's been modified since then. Or like, how, like how do you actually solve that problem? I guess. Yeah, so you do, you definitely use a lot of hashing. One of the things that I think is a big problem in the industry is the desire to put things on the blockchain that don't really belong there. In fact, okay. I would argue that that's sort of the most pervasive issue in the industry is everyone, and this is, this is sort of the core issue of people not fully understanding the purpose of this technology. Because if you did fully understand the purpose, you'd realize that this technology is really just there to prove things. Uh, it's not an adequate, you know, wholesale replacement for your database. It should, it should sync with databases. It should work with databases, but the blockchain, you know, compared to a traditional database is, is rarely going to be better because it has so much redundancy and so much of this, you know, extra stuff going on that, you know, compared to a normal centralized database, normal centralized database does that stuff really, really well right now. Uh, the real times when you need a blockchain is when you have, multiple parties when you have two parties who are interacting and then they want to prove something to a third party that's when blockchain really becomes really useful and that's one of the reasons why finance has taken off so quickly so the so when you were working with this this project you're talking about those files are still spread out all over the place but you're writing on the blockchain basically an index of those files saying like okay this data is in this location and this is the last time it was modified and the file size and the hash and whatever and so then you know like where all the data is and when it was modified and all that kind of stuff is kind of what you're tracking. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the really cool things about Notaro's technology in particular 
is uh, unlike a lot of the blockchain technologies out there, which have various indexing services and indexing components to them, all of the data on Notaros is natively indexed. So we don't even need to do that as a separate service. We don't need to do it as like a post, you know, sort mm -hmm. of a post-processing operation. It's all done automatically. It's sort of baked in from the get-go. And, and that's one of the reasons why our blockchain can behave a little bit more like a traditional database that developers are used to working with rather than narrowing the number of developers who can use it down to the, the you know, the 20,000 developers who actually know about blockchain. Okay. So now that they were able to index all that data, um, what were they able to, so do you have, so do people then log into your software and they can see all those files, and all that data, or do you guys build like APIs and other people have to like build on top of what you do? Uh, it can be either or. Uh, it, it really just kind of depends on on what your goals are, you know. So okay. in, in government context, they might have different different rules around what needs to be encrypted and what doesn't. Uh, but in a business context, you know, you may want it to sync with, you know, maybe your CRM or, or other elements of how you interact with customers. It really just kind of depends on what you're looking to accomplish. Uh, but what's really great is that all of these systems kind of regardless of how they're designed can work against the same common ledger. And this is something we haven't really seen much of in the blockchain space. Usually a blockchain says, Hey, you're going to program in our programming language, or, you know, you're going to operate on this side chain. Uh, but our system doesn't constrain you to that environment. You can really build on in any way you see fit. Very similar to how, you know, people don't really program for HTTP. HTTP just kind of works with everything. Uh, and we're aiming to achieve very much that same goal. So are your target customers software developers or is it just, um, you know, somebody in a, in, a, in a business that has a problem and they can just sign up for your, your product and they don't need to be a software engineer or kind of who is your target customer? Yeah, I would say that software developers are the, the people who use the product. Okay. Uh, and, you know, sort of the the head of emerging technology or, or the innovation officer is oftentimes the, the sort of the direct customer, the one who signs the checks. Uh, but, you know, we really want to create a product that solves a lot of problems for developers so that they don't feel that they have to go and learn a whole bunch of skills that they don't want to spend time investing in. And instead, they can just use the software that they've built or use, you know, the skills that they've already learned. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's our thesis that those software developers will, will tell their, you know, tell their companies, Hey, we really need to use this. It's made my life so much easier. Uh, I really enjoy building on it. And we can really incorporate all the software that we already have into it. So in this, in this case, is it primarily solutions where, where people have a lot of files and they're trying to control knowing if the files have been modified and stuff like that. And that's what the, le the ledger is helping track or what is kind of the, the specific use case there. If I'm a developer, like what, what is the problem I'm trying to solve that I find you guys and you're like, okay, yeah, this is a better solution than anything else. Uh, I think that the, the file sharing is really an application of our ledger, but is distinct from why you would want to use the ledger itself. The, the Notaros ledger is, is unique for a variety of reasons, one of which is that you can, it can evolve, uh, the application can evolve with the regulatory system without ever compromising the integrity of the ledger underneath. 
So, so far in the history of blockchain, it's sort of been one or the other, right? If your system broke the law, then either you, you know, you evade the law as a, as a blockchain or you break the ledger. Um, and one of the things that's really cool about Notaros is you can actually have a consistent ledger, but the application continues to change and adjust with the needs of the customers because humans are not machines. And to live under the strictest rule of a very rigid blockchain would just simply doesn't mesh with how humanity works or how, how we live our lives. So our system allows you to maintain that integrity, maintain that immutability and that zero trust element that makes blockchain so great, but without having to, you know, completely rewrite human nature and, and how business is done around it. Well, I do want to take a second to remind everybody that finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and see what developers are available to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. So as we talking about different use cases for your guys' product and, and kind of how it works, I'm, I'm curious about like how you how you guys built this. I mean, talking about hiring software developers to Fullscale, I'm, I'm curious like, is your your co-founder the, the the main developer? Like, how do you how do you build how do you build this stuff? I'm curious. My co-founder is a, a brilliant guy. He's definitely the core developer behind this project, and I would say that this project is really a result of of two factors. I I for a long time was trying to find uh, when I was working for other companies prior to meeting my co-founder, I was trying to find the best blockchain to build their system on because uh, they all had these problems. It was If it wasn't one problem, it was another. And I was like hard on the search for finding the, the best product that could do it. And my co-founder, on the other hand, is just very, was very, very deep in the Ethereum ecosystem from, from day one. And like many old school developers and whatever their, uh, whatever their domain of choice, you know, if you if you live through all of the challenges, you have a very deep understanding of why every single code change was made and exactly why the system is shaped the way it was. So what ended up happening is, as I would uh, as I would introduce him to other ledgers and other technologies that he wasn't necessarily aware of, he uh, he could synthesize those ideas. And this is, you know, we still do this today where we, we look around the space and we're like, well, you know, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, this, you know, these are important features to have. These are not important features to have. And and he really is able to uh, make actionable uh, ideas from a very raw outset. And I'm a guy who's really good at collecting ideas and identifying which ones are maybe useful and, and maybe a part of the future technology that we see ourselves evolving into. Uh, so it's a really good, it's a really good uh, synergy there, I think. So I think I saw in my notes here, you guys are actually using a blockchain, is it called Radix? Yeah, so we, uh, we have, uh, we originally used a consensus out of Radix. These days, we are evolving away from that. We don't really use okay. that consensus anymore. Um, and what's really cool about our technology is it's actually consensus agnostic. So in a lot of ways, you can think about our technology as sort of a, a, a middle layer between how applications are run and how consensus is achieved. Uh, 
such that those two things can operate in a generalized fashion to each other. I think a really good way of understanding this is to, my, my co-founder told me uh, not too long ago that uh, when Pong came out in the 70s, like the Pong video game, it actually had no software in it whatsoever. It was an entirely hardware implementation of the game. So as you can imagine, building a different video game at the time was really challenging. And you had to build an entirely new you know, device. And this is a lot like how in the 80s, if you wanted to develop a piece of software, you didn't hire a software developer. You hired a computer engineer. And this guy was responsible for your hardware and your software and your firmware. And he had to do all that stuff. And eventually that, you know, that challenge became too much for any one man uh, or any one person, I should say. And we sort of separated out the, those roles until we had computer engineers and software engineers. You know, we had hardware people and software people. And, uh, and this is also how we freed ourselves from sort of the Pong model. So in the very same way, uh, that these systems were super rigid, uh, that's very much where we are in blockchain today, where your application is directly dependent on sort of the, the distributed quote-unquote hardware that it runs on. And this is why developers don't have a ton of freedom in the blockchain space. And the way we broke out of this very goofy pattern is by the introduction of operating systems, which really made it so that you could run kind of any software on any hardware, more or less. That's still becoming true. Uh, but Notaros is very much the same thing. So Notaros is our sort of made up Latin word for Noda Hora OS or recording time operating system, uh, because that's really what Notaros does is it helps you keep track of uh, the order and origin of events such that you can prove them. Um, and it allows your application, whatever it may be, to run against a decentralized system, whatever it may be. And this is part of the way that we are going to open up uh, new softwares and, and bring them into the, the zero trust world. So it doesn't matter what blockchain somebody is, is using or, or is it like somebody has to be, they have like some app they've already built on Ethereum or Avalanche or Polygon or whatever blockchain it is. And then they, they then pick your guys' software to kind of work alongside that. Or do they like just come to you first and they they don't have to deal with any of the blockchain part of it. Like how, like where does that decision-making come from? I guess, does that make yeah, sense? So if someone has an application that currently runs on Ethereum, we can run it on our system already. Okay. Uh, and this is because we have a, 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 what we consider to be sort of an application on Notaros. Uh, the, the Ethereum virtual machine is just sort of an application in the Notaros universe. So you okay. can run your application inside of the Notaros version of the EVM. Uh, but if you had a different application that ran on, you know, uh, uh, Solana or whatever, you know, we can make a, a, a Solana VM that runs inside of Notaros. So in this way, we can really inherit any technology. So you guys are kind of your space. own blockchain? Uh, yeah, are you guys we're, kind of we're, your own blockchain? We're our own blockchain that, that okay. can run software from, from anywhere else, uh, whether it be designed for Web3 or not. Okay, got it. Okay, so you guys have like your own copy. So did you take somebody else's blockchain and then kind of clone it and then add like all the features and stuff that you've built on top of it? Is that kind of what you guys you guys did then or? 
Uh, no, this isn't a this isn't a fork of another chain. You know, our our EVM is a is a fork of the EVM. Okay. Uh, but the the rest of the chain is 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 new software that runs on its own uh, data format and its own styling. In fact, you know, if you read our literature, we don't cite a whole bunch of the the blockchains of modern day. A lot more of the the research and the academia that we look to are the the papers from the 1980s when distributed computing originally came out. That's really where we see sort of the trunk of the branch that that we're that we're building off of rather than you know sort of the post bitcoin reality uh, that being said we do inherit some stuff from from bitcoin and, and other places but it's largely based on that distributed computing model of the 80s so you see the the key value here is is having a sort of a, a blockchain based event stream that cannot be tampered with that is zero trust, as you would say, right? Of like, we know that these events have happened and they were recorded. And that that's a key to the to the value prop here, right? Instead of saying, oh, you took these events and you put them in a database somewhere, but somebody could have changed them. Like, there's no way to know that those 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 events happened the way that you said they were. Where by using the blockchain, it's like, no, we know that these events happen at this time and you can't tamper with it. Yes, that's an absolutely excellent description of what we're doing. Um, All right. See, so, see, twenty years of software development, I learned something. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's perfect. It's really an event-driven model, uh, and something something I like to uh, point out to people is, you know, we've had these these trust issues in our society for a really long time. You know, in the in the olden days. If you wanted to prove that a piece of, you know, a letter hadn't been tampered with, you'd put it in a sealed envelope, right? And that's a lot like a, a cryptographic hash. And then uh, if you wanted to know, you know, where this untampered with envelope came from, well, you would have, you know, the king seal with the, with the wax and the ring. Um, and that's a lot like public key cryptography. And where we, you know, we can identify the origin and the lack of tampering. Uh so it seems like the problem of trust had been solved until it became clear to people that there was still this timing element that was missing, right? That's why we rely on, you know, uh, stock exchanges and, and, and all these other uh, people who keep track of time for us as, as a, as a authoritative third party. Uh, but now sort of the way that you would solve that problem is you would make sure that you sent out many envelopes to many different parties and all those parties would be, you know, corroborating what they got in their envelopes together. And that's really what a blockchain does. And now we've solved the third and final piece of how do we know that this information is legitimate? And this allows kind of really to, to finish the internet uh, and what it was always intended to be. So what, what other, do you have any other, current case studies or, or you think, um, you know, kind of good use cases that you guys are targeting for this type of technology? Sure. We're, we are interested in all sorts of technologies, uh, especially the, the companies that we see the earliest traction in are companies in that create some kind of hardware where they're keeping track of uh, like real world data. So, you know, we worked with a company that creates IoT hardware for tracking the supply chain of the U.S. Air Force uh, and like knowing that, you know, the data that they're pulling in from from the trucks or whatever other shipping device that they're using hasn't been tampered with by a third party. And I think there's 
I come from an energy background, so I think there's tons of cool applications in energy trading where we can do peer-to-peer energy trading and we no longer need to rely on these centralized and relatively inefficient grids and instead can make it so that you know people with solar panels on their roofs can trade with their direct neighbors. And this will allow our energy grid to you know heal faster in the event of an outage uh, and to be less susceptible to like terrorist attacks or things like that. So there's there's a ton of applications, especially in hardware, uh, that really have very little to do with with digital assets or, or decentralized finance. Uh, not to say that those aren't very important use cases as well. Uh, I think blockchain becomes most useful when it can start to transcend the boundaries of a given vertical or a given industry and really cross cross over those thresholds and, and de-silo our data rather than siloing our data, which is how I feel most of the blockchain industry works right now. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think you've got kind of two, two groups on this. It seems like you've got people that are just trying to rebuild every product there is on the blockchain because that's like, sounds like a cool thing to do. Uh, like we're going to make Twitter, but run it on the blockchain. Um, and then you've got people that are like trying to leverage blockchain for like what it's actually good for. Um, which is, sounds like more like what you guys are trying to do. Like we're trying to actually use the blockchain for use cases that it's good for. Not like, oh, we made a video game, but there's like a blockchain part of it. But like you can make a video game without a blockchain. Like you don't need a blockchain. Obviously there's millions of video games without a blockchain. Um, but then you have all these people today that are like, I'm going to make X, but just make the blockchain version of it. Like, but it didn't, you didn't need to do that. Like there wasn't like a great use case for it, you know? Um, there seems to be a lot of that. Am I am I wrong? Oh no, absolutely. I had a I had a colleague of mine tell me uh, that one of one of his friends had suggested, "Hey, what if we made a a hedge fund on a blockchain, but it's a DAO?" And he says, "That's just a hedge fund, dude." <laughs> um, it's still just a hedge fund, yeah. Um, and I think that there's yeah, there's that's a lot of why our industry rightly gets criticized as a solution looking for a problem. Uh, right and blockchain is is really about about proving things and about closing the trust gap it's about it's about making it so that we no longer you know being trustworthy is great it's a great thing to strive for relying on trust not so great um because that's when we introduce tons of risk into our society and risks into the operations of our business because we're we're banking on something that we don't have certainty around and it becomes harder to plan things uh when we have a lack of certainty yeah i'm i'm you know the having a ledger that you can record events on and you know that the events are happened and all and all those things are true you know i, I could see having a lot of use cases in um as you mentioned earlier like shipping supply chain security um stuff like that I, for whatever reason i'm thinking of like the, the box of paperwork in Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago uh, office of like, <laughs> when did those boxes get there and when did they leave? Like having like certainty of that might be useful for him right now. <laughs> like as a use case here. There's that, now that you mention it, there's there's really two big areas that you're addressing there. Uh, one is about, uh, you know, the the authority to access certain pieces of information when was that authority granted when was it revoked obviously like an event driven right. system with sufficient cryptography would be a really good way to address that problem and then on the other hand you have like your know, physical documents where it's like well 
these documents, uh, they have a specific chain of custody. Someone, they had to like move from one location to the next, also a great area to keep track of events. And ideally, you would synchronize these two systems together such that it's clear not only like when someone had access to have something, but when they had physical access as well. Um, And you can't forge and and change it later. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a because this right is a good this is a good meeting. example of this is a good example of like a a giant he he said she said you know argument right where it's like am I supposed to have this not have this I have it I don't have it like having a ledger the point is like if you have a ledger of like it's it's written in stone this is exactly what happened you can't modify it and we have the proof doesn't you can't modify it you can't lie about it the uh, the old adage was trust but verify. Yeah, and the new adage is never trust, always verify. Uh, there you go. Because because when when the internet came out, you know, cybersecurity wasn't an issue because people didn't have any reason to believe that systems would be insecure. You know, who was allowed into ARPANET or who was allowed into you know the the Stanford Internet Network? Well, professors who worked at Stanford is the answer. So they like assumed that those people were all good actors and were acting on their own best interests. And what's what's happened is it became clear that like every single opportunity to exploit something uh, has been exploited. That's what the last 30 years of internet have shown us is that any gap in the system is one that will, that someone can and will take advantage of. So now we need defensive systems that recognize this fact from the get go. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, there's, you know, as a software developer, I've used a lot of, event-based event streaming kind of systems actually kind of kind of built one for you no know, software developer related but you know for what we were doing there was not really concern of like trust or tampering of the data you know um, it wasn't the kind of data that you would worry about somebody tampering with and where you know for certain use cases for like what you guys are, are trying to to solve you know you you want to make sure nobody can tamper with that and uh you know there's you know, some kind of liability legal like reason of the, the the reason you're doing it that way, right? Like somebody is is signing off that these things were done at a certain time and and nobody can go, you know, modify it. And and the security of that is important. That's the key to the use case to me. I would definitely agree. And I think that there's even even when data is isn't tampered with, there's always a question of well, how much can I trust that this data is legitimate? Even if the data is is exactly what they claim, how much can I trust the legitimacy of that? And that's where we get into the idea of, you know, reputation and and you know, when when you're when you're on Twitter or you're on Reddit and you're seeing all these posts, you know, there's this big discussion right now about uh, how many of those posts are bots? How many yeah. of those posts are generated in mass and how much of what they're posting are deep fakes? And and falsified information. So what we need is we need a system that can hold people, hold users, hold bots, hold everyone accountable for what they post. But you can do that without necessarily like completely, you know, undermining freedom. I know it sounds hard to believe. Well, uh, Elon figured it out. Elon figured (laughs) out. You just, you just charge $8 and solves the whole problem. Yeah, I mean that's a pretty high threshold, <laughs> a pretty big barrier to entry, right? No, eight dollars. No, that solves no all. No one malicious has ever had eight dollars. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, he realized that didn't work. Yeah, I I think 
you know, I think he has a, I think he is a very goofy notion of, of blockchain. And I think a lot of, uh, sort of more to your point about people trying to migrate over their, their normal web two stuff to web three, which I don't think is like necessarily an effort in futility. You know, a lot of web three will look like web two. Um, but I think a lot, uh, a lot of the times the people who are the biggest benefactors of the internet as it is today are the ones who sort of miss the point of, of blockchain as it is now. And they miss the point of decentralization and they're sure like, I'm sure I can make like, you know, this, this technology that's designed to, to empower my users. I'm sure I can figure out a way to centralize that power back to myself. It's a, it's a very confused sort of approach as to why this technology and why this technology hasn't been wholesale adopted because its messaging has been very conflated with that sort of old school, uh, you know, cloud, cloud company uh, world. Well, and for 99% of consumers that are living their day-to-day life, they don't care how anything works. They don't care what database it uses, what cloud technology it uses, what computer programming language is written in. They don't give a shit about any of it. They just, they don't care how the sausage is made or how the watch works. They just want to live their life, right? And so all of these things are used by businesses to solve specific problems, unique problems. Like this, the reason you use one database over another, there's specific use cases. And same thing with blockchain. There's, there's use cases where blockchain makes sense and there's use cases where a regular database would make sense. So it's, it's all about having those use cases and, and you guys solving that problem better than anybody else for that use case. Yeah, I, I think that blockchain people get really uh, sort of out of their element when they suggest that blockchain serves as a better database than most databases. Like the vast majority of the time, it just it just doesn't. Um, and you'll find few people as critical of the crypto and blockchain industry as me and my co-founder who feel that, you know, uh, that that whole notion that uh that blockchain as an industry is full of like grifters and, and, you know, snake oil salesmen, it, yeah. it rings true. It's full of merit. Uh, and part of the reason why this is the case mm-hmm. is because uh, a lot of people in our industry hide behind the smoke and mirrors of like cryptography and math and, you know, all this stuff that's like complicated and people just sort of aren't willing to dig through that complicated uh, material. And they just, throw their money at people who who seem smarter who seem like they know what they're talking about and what's what's you know one of my biggest gripes especially is when we have we have an army of software developers who suddenly think that they're economists and an army of economists who suddenly think that they're software developers and both of them could not be more wrong <laughs> um, and, and now yeah. now they're both on twitter debating each other which is fun to watch for sure <laughs> <laughs> um, well well, if your company uses databases and needs software developers to help write software on, on top of those databases, uh, FullScale can help. We have the, the people in the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit FullScale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and let the platform match you up with fully vetted, highly experienced team of software engineers. At FullScale, they specialize in building a long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit FullScale.io. And... You know, you're you're absolutely right about blockchains not being a database. I mean, it's it's not any more clear than when you look at something like Ethereum, and it can only process like seven transactions a second or something like that, uh, which is nothing. I mean, my my little startup I had last was processing millions of transactions an hour. 
Um, and we're like one little bitty tiny company. I mean, for something like Ethereum to say, oh, we're going to be the internet computer of all computing and everything should be on the blockchain. Like it couldn't handle one tiny little company using it for real world use cases. So that's why you've got to have a lot of different blockchains doing a lot of different things that are more special, special use cases. And like you said, like they, it doesn't replace a database. Database is like a different use case. Yeah, for sure. I think sort of the one of the goofiest underlying assumptions of blockchain right now is that, oh, yeah, we're totally going to like rewrite everything and like put it on this chain when at, at the exact same time in history, you know, we have all the biggest banks in the world who run their software on like Cobalt or whatever, like 1980s oh, programming yeah. language. They're still running on it. Do we really think that they're going to like migrate over to like a programming language that's been around for like less than five years? Like it's just not going to happen. So we need to create systems that work with work with the legal system, work with the, the software systems that exist today. Uh, that's the only way we can really take advantage of the entire last 50 years of computing that came prior. Because like we can't just start everything from scratch. We really need to leverage all the intellectual yeah. investment and everything that came before it. Well, so you, you mentioned earlier, you have been um, investing in crypto and Bitcoin and all this stuff for for, for a number of years. Um, you're gonna have to give me some tips because so far I've only figured out every way to lose money by investing in crypto. I haven't figured out a way to actually make money. I've just figured out all the ways to lose money. Yeah, you know, I, I can't say that I'm a great crypto investor. And part of that is that, you know, the the crypto booms and busts aren't necessarily a product of the quality of the technology more and that's maybe the thing i could help vet uh more often than not they're a product of you know public perception of a given platform and that's like a wildly different metric um, yeah so i haven't i haven't done exceptionally well in my crypto investing but i can say that uh my original you know i bought my first ether at like six dollars and i still have it so you never sold that, it that guy i got that going for me um <laughs> good uh, for you yeah i i had originally bought some bitcoin a long time ago and kind of forgot about it and then you know of course sold it when it was at uh thirteen thousand dollars or something and then bought it back at twenty thousand and then sold it again when it was you know five thousand or something so I'm, I'm the typical typical bitcoin investor that should have just left it alone so that's, but that's what most people, most people same with the stock market, right? We, we buy, we, we FOMO in when it's at $69,000 and then we sell when it's 13 and then repeat. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm not like, I think that there's like a, I think there's a ton of like money to be made and, and stuff like that. But like, man, I just like, don't know. I I don't know a great like process that people could even go through to like fully vet something. Cause like, you know, I, I've been in this space a really long time. I consider myself like very capable of understanding what a project is, what its use case is. Uh, but that's not, that's like a totally different thing than like how valuable its token is. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, it's been great having you on the show today. And, and I have a feeling that people would make, probably a lot more money if they invested in real real world utility blockchain apps like what you guys are doing investing in companies like you guys so instead of just buying these crazy crypto stuff you guys are trying to solve real world problems and, and create real value right it's not just speculation like most of this crypto stuff is it's crazy ponzi nomics tokenomics junk 
So uh, I, I wish the best of luck to you guys trying to solve real world problems and do real stuff. So uh, using the blockchain and, and, and using it for what it's meant to be for, not just like, I'm going to take Twitter and write it on the blockchain. Like that's really going to solve some problem. Um, so I love that you guys are trying to use real world use cases. So any, um, any final thoughts, suggestions, tips for other entrepreneurs listening to the show today? Yeah. For other entrepreneurs, uh, you know, building, building a technology is really important. Uh, but if you don't really understand your customers and what they're looking to solve, then all the technology in the world will never help you. It's really about helping people solve problems that need to get solved. And, and I think it's as simple as that. Uh, thanks so much for having me on, Matt. It's absolutely been a pleasure. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And again, this is um, Notaros is the name of his company and um, Andrew Brick. So you guys can look him up at uh, notaros.io. So that's N-O-T-O-R-O-S dot I-O. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much for, for being on the show today, man. It's been great. All right. Take care. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.